Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We live in a time when truth is taking a beating. It's easier than ever to spread truth, half-truths, and lies around the globe. And sifting through it is harder than ever. Lead teacher Jeff Norris starts the series Chasing Truth with this sermon entitled Something More Sure, which covers 2 Peter 1, 16-21, Luke 16, 27-31, and John 14, 15. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Starting a new series uh, for us that will take us through the rest of June and into the first week of July. And uh, what I'll be doing this morning will, in large part, just be a long introduction that sets up the next four weeks. Who you'll be hearing from in the next four weeks, I'm thrilled about. Uh, We are having four of our young uh, pastors, young leaders in the church who uh, you don't get to hear from very often, but who do great work here uh, in various capacities here at the church. And uh, this will be, you'll be hearing from Eric Ryan, you'll be hearing from uh, Ryan Brown, Tony Thomas, and then Jimmy Kim, who you've seen up here this morning. And, And we're doing a series that I'm launching for us here, just this called, as you just saw, Chasing truth. And here's, here's what the premise of the series is. The premise is that this book here that we call the Bible is the holy, inerrant, infallible word of God. It is truth. And with it, there is a sense of perhaps what we might call chasing after the truth that it contains. Because here's what happens oftentimes in the reading and in the studying of God's word, of the Bible, is that you, if you've been in the faith for any length of time, you know this to be true. You might read a passage of scripture that you've read it five times, 10 times, 30 times, perhaps even 100 times, and every time you've read it, you kind of glean the same thing from it, and then that 50th time, that fifth time, whatever it may be, there is something that happens that we call the illumination of the Holy Spirit where he just brings something new out for you, something that has been there all along, but that for whatever reason, we just didn't see. And so what these guys are gonna do is they're gonna share some from their own personal stories of passages where God's done just that, where they've read certain passages over and over again, and then at some point, there was another aspect to this passage that clicked, that the Holy Spirit just drew out another layer of truth out of that passage that hit them in a fresh way, that shaped them in a new way in the sense of more and more into the image of Jesus. Now, over the years as I've met with people, uh, there have been many, many times where I'm meeting with someone who they're meeting, they're wanting to meet because they're struggling in their Christian life, in their faith. They're just saying, man, I'm really in a spot that I'm not sure how to get out of. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm struggling so badly, but man, I'm just in, in the funk. And so typically, one of the things that I'll ask, and not in a condemning way, not in a legalistic way, but just in a way to help understand where they are, I'll say, well, tell me this. How often are you reading and studying the Bible? How often, how often are you going to God's word? And Usually, if not always, the answer is, well, I'm really not. 
And then there have been a number of times in a similar conversation or same conversation that I'm having with someone where they will admit that they're not reading the Bible because they feel like they already understand it. They'll say, well, yeah, I mean, I've read it. I, I, I kind of get the idea. And, you know, I mean, what else is there to know? And in that, we demonstrate a sense of, uh, and I, again, not in a condemning way, but we, we demonstrate our ignorance of the Bible. We demonstrate uh, the inability that we have within us to understand the magnitude of the value and the work of the scriptures in our lives. And we also don't understand this. We don't understand that a lot of times uh, the mining of gold, if you will, that takes place in the reading and the studying of scripture requires hard work. It requires devotion. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. I love him, a great theologian and author. He said it very bluntly. He said, we are to work at Bible study. The scriptures do not disclose their riches to lazy minds and hearts. Now that sounds harsh, but it's true. Now here's the problem though. And, and I want you to know that I'm right here with you in the sense of you say, well, Jeff, you're a pastor. You, you probably, you know, you're in the word in-depthly all the time. And in a sense, yes, but I often check my heart to say, would I be diving in deeply if it weren't my job? Trying to seek the Lord on that. Lord, I want this to be true of my passion for you and my heart for you regardless of my occupation. But the problem is this, and this has become increasingly true as we go through the ages. We are becoming and have become, when it comes to the study of the scriptures, we have become people with lazy minds and lazy hearts. We want a five-minute devotion that gives us one verse at the top of the page and call that the study of God's word. And it's not. It's not. Those things aren't bad. They certainly supplement the study of God's word. But that's not the studying, the reading and studying of God's word. We are to be a people devoted. This is straight from God's word. Devoted to the scriptures. Devoted to the word of God. Knowing and believing and understanding its value. Let me pray for us as we launch into this. Father, would you bless, even now this morning, the reading, the studying, the examining of your word. But in this series, oh Father, would you open our eyes to the depths of the riches of the word of God, your holy, inspired, infallible word contained for us in the Bible. We thank you. We pray that you do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a show that whenever I catch it, I don't know when it comes on, I haven't paid attention, but if I'm ever kind of just flipping through and I see it, I always stop on it. And it's a show uh, that's about this pawn store where people bring in what they think are their treasures. And they bring them into this pawn store owner and in so doing, they say, well, this has been passed down, you know, whatever the item may be, this is a sword that was passed down from my great-great-grandfather, and you know, it has ties back to ancient Asia, whatever it may be, right? And they lay it before this 
pawn store owner, and he takes a look at it, and he examines it, but he's not the expert. So what he does every show is they bring these different items in, is he says, well, this looks pretty convincing, but let me bring in someone who's an expert in this field for them to assess it. And so this expert comes in, and his job is to figure out, is this authentic? Is it real, or is it a fake? And what would it go for at auction? Now, before this person, the people with these items come in, they get them on camera before they go into the store owner and they say, hey, what do you think you might want to get today for this item? How much money? And they'll throw a number out. Now, the best part of the show to me, some people might say, well, the best part is people that come in thinking they're going to get $10,000 and they get 500 bucks. And we laugh because they don't understand what they have. But I like it the other way. I think it is so awesome when someone brings in something that they don't understand the value of. So there have been many times that I'm watching the show where they'll bring in an item and they'll say, well, how much do you want to get for this? And they'll say, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get a couple thousand out of it. And the expert comes in, examines it, and says something to the effect of, wow, uh, this is incredibly rare. I've never, either I've never seen one of these in all my years in this field, or this is just the first or second or third one of these. This is of great value. And they end up walking out of there with five, 10, 15, 20 times more than what they came in intending to get. One example that I saw recently when I was watching it, watching it was this guy brought in a book that he knew was a part of Thomas Jefferson's original personal library, or at least he thought it was and wanted to see if that was true. The expert comes in and says, oh my goodness, this has all the telltale markings of the ways in which Jefferson would make notes and the signage that he would use and so forth. And he said, this is authentic. And this man walked out with a huge purse because of the value of what he brought in. Now, here's the thing. Usually, the metric for value in our lives is something with something like that is, is it rare? Is it rare and does it have worth in its original ownership? And if so, then it's of great value. So the converse is also true. The more common something is, the more it loses its value. So here's what's happened with the word of God over the years. There was a day and time for many, many centuries where this was not available to the common Christian. The church leaders, as it were at that time, they had seen fit for it to be something that only they had access to, and as a result, uh, the scriptures were twisted and for personal gain and power and purposes. Until about the 14th century when uh, men like Wycliffe gave their life for the translation of the scriptures in conjunction with the printing press, the Gutenberg printing press. And over the course of that next 100 years, suddenly the scriptures became available. It was one of the key components of the Protestant Reformation. You had great leaders in the Protestant Reformation like Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and others, but you also had the word of God made available. And with it, lives, hearts coming to life as they access the scriptures. Now, where do we sit today? Well, today we sit with, in our context here in America, for most of us, it's not a big deal to get one of these. Some of us have 15 or 20 of them sitting on our shelves and home. And with the commonality of the word of God and with the commonality of Christian subculture, 
This has lost its value. Even, even for the Christian. Statistics show that if you survey Christians and ask them on average how often they're reading the Bible, it is a dismal number. Now this is, again, this is not to condemn, this is just the reality of where we are. We are in a place right now of great biblical illiteracy within the church. Not even talking about the culture. And so we have a problem. But what if the metric were changed? What if it weren't about commonality? What if it weren't about how accessible this is for us in this day and age? What if we couldn't just order one from Amazon? Or what if it wasn't one of those things where you could just go to a bookstore down the road? What if it weren't about commonality or rarity? What if it were about the value, the supreme value of the content? What we begin to see is that the content of the Bible is of the richest affair. As it helps us and shows us as the inspired infallible word of God revealing to us who God is, who we are, who our Savior is, and how it all fits together in God's great redemptive plan for mankind. Do we value the word of God? Do we see its value? I have two aims in this sermon this morning as way of introduction into this series is simply this. One, to impress upon you the value of God's word. And then towards the end, to impress upon you the value of God's son. As we look at the scriptures, as we consider God's written word, we see three things. First, we see that in the written word of God, in the Bible, we have something that is more sure. I feel like the sentence is not complete, Jeff. What do you mean? More sure, more sure than what? Well, let's read the passage. Turn to me, uh, with me to 2 Peter chapter one. 2 Peter chapter one for uh, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now let me pause right there and remind you, this is the apostle Peter writing here. Peter, if you'll remember, was a part of the inner circle, if you will, of Jesus, where there were three men of the 12 disciples who were with Jesus most closely and saw things and experienced things with Jesus that the other nine did not. And one of the things that they experienced was what Peter is talking about here. When he says, for we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, what he's doing is he's going back to what we call the transfiguration which is when Jesus invited these three, Peter, James, and John, up onto a hilltop, onto what he will call the holy mountain, so that they could be eyewitnesses, bystanders, front row seat to him in the presence of the Father being glorified, that they would get a picture, albeit brief, they would get a picture of what the resurrected and glorified Jesus will be and is now glorified at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all things. Now listen to what he says. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. I love the way in which Peter is talking about the father here. And this is what the father said. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Sound familiar? That's the baptism. When Jesus came up out of the water, there was a sense of this glorification happening too, but only mildly in part, but in the, uh, the official inauguration of the ministry of Jesus upon baptism. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, as Jesus is shining in the glory of, in, in the light, in the white, bright light of his glory before Peter, James, and John, he says, you hear the voice of the Lord again say, well done. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he says, verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, buckle up. Watch what he says next. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Do you understand what he's saying? What he's saying is this. I was there. We were there. Peter, James, and John. We were there when Jesus was transfigured into glory right before our eyes. We saw it. And if there's ever anything that you and I would think would be so sure that I would never doubt again, that I would always just be the strongest of Christians, it would be that I would see Jesus glorified in my presence. Have you ever read a passage of scripture and thought, man, if I could have just been there, then I would be such a better Christian. If I had just seen Jesus do that, then things would be so much better in terms of my ability to stay steadfast. And what Peter is saying is like, look, I was there. Of course it was amazing, but we have something more sure. Well, what is that? It's the prophetic word. Well, what is that? That's the scriptures. The word of God, more sure than the transfiguration. Are you kidding me? That's what Peter is saying. He continues, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what uh, Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God, the man of God may be temperate and the man of God may be equipped for every good work. The word of God, the scriptures, the holy scriptures, more sure than the transfiguration. Unbelievable. It's as if we're walking into the pawn shop and we throw the Bible, I shouldn't say throw, we lay the Bible onto the table, the counter in front of the pawn shop owner. 
And he says, what's this? And you say, look, I'm going to tell you, this is the most valuable thing that you could ever possess in terms of its content. And the pawn, store, uh, uh, pawn shop owner scoffs at you and says, man, these are everywhere. And you say, go get an expert. Go get Peter. And Peter comes in and Peter's the expert that they bring in. And Peter comes to the pawn shop owner and he says, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I was there when Jesus, the one that all this points to, was glorified in my midst, and this guy's right, what he's brought to you is of greater value than that. No money can buy this. And the pawn shop owner just goes, really? There is a shock and an awe that should be in the heart and in the mind of every Christian, every time we open this to read it. Because in so doing, we're engaging with the holy word of God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit into our very being, awakening, awakening us to the glory of God in our midst in a more profound way than even what they saw on that mountain. but we're not done. When we consider the scriptures, we see that it is not only something more sure, we see that it's something more convincing. Again, more convincing than what? Turn with me to Luke 16. Now this is a passage that you'll be hearing more from as we do a series. Um, after this series, we're gonna, starting on July 18th, we'll launch a series into looking into and studying heaven. That'll be interesting. And in that series, we'll bring up this passage in Luke 16 again. So I won't teach it in detail now. I'll give you the quick flyover, and then you can anticipate a little bit more in the series to come. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a rich man who is not named, and a man, a poor man, who is named, named Lazarus. Now, this is not the, don't think Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha, who Jesus rose from the dead. This is just a common name in that day and time. And so uh, this would be not too uncommon to John or Jeff or whatever today. Lazarus, it says, was placed every morning at the, door, the doorway of this man this rich man, so that every morning this rich man would pass him. And as the story is told by Jesus, it says that he passed him every day and never helped him in any way, never gave him a morsel of food, never gave him a thread of clothing, but walked past him, either in defiance to his needs or in just completely oblivious to his needs. Turns out, these two men die, and upon death, Lazarus is taken, as the scripture says in this passage, into Abraham's bosom, which we'll talk more about. I'll leave you hanging. We could just say heaven for now. And the rich man, upon death, goes into Hades, into a place of torment. And Jesus tells a story that, in the story, that there's a chasm, that there's actually an awareness between these two places in the afterlife. 
And that this rich man in this place of torment and flames is now crying out because he can see across the chasm and he sees Lazarus, which tells us that it wasn't obliviousness that caused him to ignore Lazarus. He knew who he was. Because he says, Abraham, would you just, would you send Lazarus over just a drop, just a little drop of water on my tongue to give me just a little relief in these flames? And Abraham answers and he says, no, for no one can cross this chasm. And then he says this, we'll pick up in verse 27. The rich man said, then I beg you, father, father Abraham, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers The Greek there indicates brothers and sisters, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, now listen to this, don't miss this. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is what God is saying. Jesus is telling the story to say this. Do you understand what you have when you possess the scriptures? You have something more certain than a dead man risen from the dead to come and warn you of the torment of Hades in the afterlife. And I don't know about you, but let's say I have a friend named Fred over here, and Fred dies. And a year or two later, however long it may be, Fred shows up at my doorstep, as alive as alive can be, and I'm feeling his face, and I'm poking his chest, and I'm going, oh my goodness, eat food, or you digest it. He says, I'm alive in every way, and the reason I came back was because I went to a very real place that I came to warn you about, and when he talks to me about the realities of the afterlife, I would listen. That would be, in my opinion, one of the most, if not the most convincing things ever. I don't know that there would be any of us that would say, yeah, I I, I don't think I'd be convinced by that. I think we'd all say that's convincing. And this is what Jesus says in this story. He says, no, 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 please understand that even if that were to happen, still wouldn't listen. If they're not going to listen to Moses, which by the way, first five books of the Bible, And to the prophets, that was the way that the Jews in that times just kind of summarized the rest of the Old Testament. If they're not gonna listen to God's word, they will not be convinced by a dead man coming back to tell them. They won't do it. Do we understand the value of God's word? Do we understand what we possess when we open this. You know, what I find myself doing a lot of times is I find myself rushing through reading and studying God's word so that I can spend more time scrolling through Instagram and Facebook. And and I, I feel like that's just like I've got in this palm over here just several uh, bars of gold 
And in this hand, I've got just several mounds of dirt. And it's as if I'm going, okay, and I fixate on the dirt. There is a transforming work that God does in the heart of man when we study his word. Now listen, I know, I know that for many of us, even those of us who've been Christians for quite some time, we go, where do I even start? What does that even look like? Well, let me, let me give you one more thing to consider. When we consider the scriptures, we, we also see that it's, it's yeah, it's, more, it's something more sure, it's something more certain, more convincing, but it's also something more than just knowledge. This is, this is really important because some of the greatest damage that has been done in the church, some of the greatest abuses that have been done in the church over the history of the church have been done by men, sometimes women, but mostly men who knew the word. They knew it. They knew it better than most of us ever will. It's not just about retaining knowledge. It's about this love relationship with Jesus that because of our love for him, we don't just know the word, we obey it. Jesus said this. He said it as plain as day in John 14, 15, where he just said, very simply, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, again, I said this a few weeks ago. That's not like this harsh, if you love me, you will keep my commands threat. It's a statement of fact that if your heart is captured by me and if you love me through faith in me, you will keep my commands. You won't do that perfectly, but that will be your longing. So it's something far more than just intellectualism, far more than just rehearsal of doctrine, something far more than deep theology. All of that can take place void of love and void of obedience. Those things are all good if they are connected to a love affair with Jesus. Now, why, would I, why, why emphasize love affair with Jesus so much? Watch this. Who is Jesus? What do the scriptures say about Jesus? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. John 1, 14, and the word, Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Revelation 19, verse 13, a picture of Jesus on, upon his magnificent, glorious return. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. If you're a person of the book, if you're a lover of the Bible, then you will instinctively be a lover of Jesus. Why? Because he's the word of God. You love Jesus, you love the Bible. If you love him, you will keep his commands. The law is not burdensome to those who have been redeemed by Christ. The law is actually a delight. Now, we'll screw it up. 
will sin, we won't obey perfectly, but it becomes increasingly so because we love Jesus, a delight to obey him. And it's not just about, oh yeah, I know a lot, right? It doesn't mean that you can answer all the questions to Bible trivia. Kid of the 80s right here. It means that I know the word of God because I know the word of God. Jesus, the pre-incarnate one who was in the beginning, the eternal one in the beginning was the word, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and is through whom the only way we know the father. The word who is returning, who came the first time as a suffering servant, who will return again is a triumphant king whose name will be written across his blood-dipped robe, the blood of of the Lamb of God. Across it will be the Word of God. That's who he is. You know, I've watched so many videos this week. I was gonna show one, and then I couldn't decide which one to show, and then I decided they were all too long anyway, so I'm just gonna tell you to go to Go to Google, go to YouTube, whatever, and just type in Bibles being given to tribes. And watch the videos that pop up that organizations like uh, the Seed Company and Wycliffe Translation, Bible Translations and others, where they've translated the Bible into these languages that they've never had the Bible before. And they're getting a Bible in their hands for the first time, and it is sheer pandemonium and joy. They are rejoicing like David before the Ark of the Covenant, dancing like a madman. These people are dancing over stuff that we, over a book that we have on our shelves that we might pick up and read or bring to church with us once every now and then. It's the word of the living God. And listen to what it says about itself. It says that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing between both bone and marrow to help us see, understand, comprehend, believe, and apply the truth of God. So may we be a people who chase that truth with all that we have, not content with a quick flyover, but a deep dive to the glory of God. Father, would you do that in us? Would you lead us by your Holy Spirit to be a people, men and women of your word, to love your word because we love you, Jesus, the word. And in our love for you, oh Jesus, we long to obey. Father, I pray for those who are here watching online who don't know you. I pray that they would begin to open your scriptures and meet you. Would you illuminate yourself to them that they may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus? And for every other person, young or seasoned in the faith, would you renew us in a devotion to the word of God? We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Let me share one more thing that I meant to say.
I alluded to it earlier. I said, uh, you may be in a place where you go, okay, I'm, you got me. I'm convinced. I need to read. I need to study. Where do I even start? I'll give you a quick tip. We can help you. Come to us. We'd love to resource you. But just simple thing to do. Pick up the Bible. Open to the very first book, which is Genesis. And read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. After you've read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, flip all the way over to the New Testament and go to the fourth book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of John, and read the whole book of John. Start there. And pray this prayer before you do that. God, for the doubter, for the skeptic, say, God, if you're, if you're real, would you meet me as I do this? It's not like rubbing a genie, it's not a formula but I'm willing to put my money on that he'll do it. He'll meet you in the living word of God. If you're a new believer and you don't know where to start, start there. And one last thing, don't be afraid to use the table of contents. <laughs> Somehow I grew up in a culture where if anyone saw me looking at the front of my Bible to figure out where a book is, it was the most shameful thing ever. <laughs> there is no shame. In fact, if you open your Bible in the future and I see you looking at a table of contents, I might just call you out and say, well done. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.